You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to a group therapy session of my podcast from City Tap Restaurant in Ashburn at One Loudon. Happy to come out here. Got some fans out here. Have a good show for you today. We got Gus Fraud on the phone. Yes, I'm going to ask him about the headbutt, but a lot more about being a young quarterback, playing in the NFL for so long. And then I'm going to be joined by Chris Cooley. Going to break down some Dwayne Haskins, some Darius Geis. And any other issues with the Redskins, Chef Mel's going to join us. Bram Weinstein's going to join us. Got fans here going to ask, him some, ask us some questions. So we got a lot going on for you tonight. So thanks for tuning in, and let's get to it. So now I'm joined by former Redskins quarterback Gus Farad, a guy who, as you may remember, was a seventh-round pick and played well enough to last 15 years in the NFL, 147 career games. Kind of amazing when you think about it, Gus, how long, what you were able to do coming in as a seventh round pick. Really nice career, thanks for joining me and I appreciate it. First of all, I do wanna ask you about your career because that is, like I said, kind of amazing. But I wanna start off with what you're doing now because I know you started a podcast as well. If you can tell people a little bit right now about what you are doing. Yeah, so, you know, when you retire from the NFL, it's kind of figure out what you're going to do next. I coached high school for a little bit, and then I moved on, went on with a company out of Pittsburgh. We developed an app that measures and monitors your brain performance called uh, Roberto. And then I also have a podcast now. It's called Huddle Up with Gus. And you can go to my website, huddleupwithgus.com, or you can go to the newradio.com app, and you can listen to Huddle Up with Gus. Uh, I just put out Peter King today. Uh, he was a great interview, and he was a lot of fun, and he told us some amazing stories about Brett Favre, Peyton Manning, Patrick Mahomes, so a lot of people. So it's been a lot of fun to interview people that always interviewed me. I was going to say, what is that like going from one side to the other? It's actually been pretty amazing that I get to go and ask these guys questions. Now, I started a lot differently. I'm just not asking him, you know, how many what was the game like and all that. It's a lot different where I'm asking them, what was the reason that you fell in love with sports when you were little? So I go back to when they were very small, and I try to find that time in their life why they fell in love with sports, whether you're a sports writer, a sportscaster, an NFL player, or uh, a doctor or a coach or anybody. We all have a story to tell, and that's what I'm trying to get at in my podcast. All right, well, let me ask you this. When did you fall in love with football or sports? Uh, I felt, I mean, I was never inside when I was a kid. I was always outside. You weren't allowed to come home until you weren't allowed to be at home, and then you better be home by the time that 9 o'clock whistle blew. So I was always home. I was outside. We were playing wiffle ball, whatever we could get our hands on, whatever ball that was out there, we were playing it. And I just played sports from my, the time I can remember. And my dad was a big influence on me. 
told me to throw the ball as hard as you as I can. That's what strengthened my arm, and uh, you know, just led to a lot of great things that happened in my life. When did you know that you had a chance to? to again, I want to go to your NFL career. When did you know that you had a chance to last a long time in this league? When I get to the Redskins and they draft Heath Schuler at number one, I'm number seven, and basically the only mindset I had was to work as hard as I could, do everything I had to, and um, you know, good things are going to happen if you put in the hard work, and that's what my dad always taught me, and that's what I've always believed. And so even at the Redskins, even after everybody knows what happened to me in Washington, was able to go on and just continue to play. I always wanted to be a starter. Uh, sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't, but uh, I enjoyed the game, and I just knew from the time that I was with the Redskins, and if you work hard, and I was given a talent, and I was able to showcase that talent when I got out in the field, and it was letting me play the game for a long, long time. When I, I do remember your first training camp, because I think that was the first camp that I covered, and it was in that camp, I remember some of the veteran writers were convinced early on that Heath Schuler was was not going to be much of a player. And I'm not sure exactly what they were seeing to say that, but they kind of made a quick judgment. But I also remember you, I think, and that was in that inter-squad scrimmage in some of the preseason games where you started to really step up. Was there a time in that camp where you said to yourself, I can do this? Well, I just always had confidence in my ability to throw the football. And it was, it was my confidence in myself to learn the offense as well. If I could do those two things and do them at a high level, then it didn't matter if Heath was a number one pick or a fifth pick or was there for 20 years. I just had to be me. I had to go out and play the game that I love to play since I was a little kid. And so um, it was great. I just interviewed Heath not too long ago on my podcast. It was the first time we've ever actually spoken about it. And uh, it felt good to get a lot of that kind of out of the closet and dust the cobwebs off and found out that we could be pretty good friends. What, what was that like? Because that must have been difficult at that time to be anything other than competitors. Well, I think it was that we just didn't care what the other one was doing. We just wanted to go out and play the game that we grew up playing and we loved. And, you know, so be it. The cards fell where they fell. But, but Heath and I just, we were focused on ourselves, not on the other one. And so... We really tried to stay out of the media that way, never talk bad about each other. Uh, people try to bring those stories out in us, uh, but it, it is what it is. And, and I just wanted to play the best I could and, and do the best I could for the Washington Redskins. Well, Gus, I have a confession, too, because I used to write a golf column at that time as well. So I do remember you guys both golf, and I did kind of ask Heath something about, well, which one of you guys is the better golfer? And he kind of rolled his eyes at me and walked away. So I'm like, yeah, we were kind of probing every angle there. When was the last time you had talked to him before you interviewed him on the podcast? Oh, I don't, I don't think since the Redskins. Since really? a long time. So um, we connected. Uh, I followed his career um, as in, in Congress and everything that he's done and and I never really stayed in touch, but, you know, we connected and it was like we were old friends. And because we really went through that whole thing with the Redskins together, even though we didn't talk, we weren't close. I had a family. He was single still. And, and we were just different. You know, we grew up different, different areas. But our commonality was the game. And, uh, you know, after talking and we just wish we could have been a little bit better while we were there, but it didn't happen that way. One of the things you... You know what it's like to be a young starting quarterback in the NFL. You, you know, from going through from your own experience, 
from experiencing being around other quarterbacks and then from watching the game. The Redskins, of course, have Dwayne Haskins going through it now. How hard is it to be a rookie quarterback in the NFL, and what was your biggest adjustment? Especially because, like Dwayne Haskins, you were a drop-back passer. Right. There, there's a huge adjustment. I mean, some guys can tell you there's not, but there is. You look at all the great ones their first years. There's not many that have had an outstanding year. There's a lot to overcome. Uh, you know, when you're in college, a lot of these guys played at major college football, just like Dwayne did. Every athlete out there is pretty darn good. And now you're playing against the other team who's every athlete is pretty darn good. And, and these ends can rush. Uh, the game just changes. And until you really get used to playing in that type of game, you, you have a hard time catching up. I've seen a lot of guys come through practice, do seven on seven, and look like they could play in any league no matter when it is. But they get out in that field and all of a sudden there's pressure, there's guys in their face. Uh, it's a different game. And I think that he just, you know, just, he just got to keep his nose to the grindstone, keep working hard and study, study, study. And the one thing, and this isn't necessarily about Dwayne, but in general, because I've seen other quarterbacks come through here too, that you wonder, do they sometimes play too soon? Is there a danger in that, or is there only benefits from that? I don't think there's danger. I think there's danger if you have a coach that doesn't understand that, okay. that's going to try and make you do everything you can possibly You know, if you're a rookie, you shouldn't be checking plays up the line of scrimmage every play. That takes time. That takes a lot of confidence, uh, especially in the middle of the season. If you're going to come in, you can't do that. So I think that, that it, a lot of it is up to the coaching. They know that these guys have talent. They have to understand, do I need to speed him up? Do I need to slow him down? Where is he in the progression? And we got to be able to go with him as, uh, off of that. Because if I just try to give him the whole playbook, it, it usually never works out that well. Who, who was the – is there – one teammate that you had or another guy that you had that you played with that stood out more than others that you would consider maybe your best teammate or the guy that you looked up to the most? Oh, there were so many. I mean, I, I, I played on seven teams. I had a friend on yeah, every did. team. In and 15 years. And it, so. it, it, was just, it was just amazing. I just interviewed Henry Heller, a good friend of mine. We had a great connection in Washington. Ken Harvey was a really, really good friend of mine. I miss Ken a lot. I don't get to see him. He still lives in D.C. I'm in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, I go through team after team that I played on and had, had great friends. And, and some of the coaches were my friends as well. And it's just great when you get to reconnect with all of them after a certain amount of time and catch up and how the families are doing. Um, just like in my last few years and when I played with the Rams, you know, Todd Stucy was a lineman. He was one of my good friends. Tommy Nalen and, and, um, Denver was a really good friend of mine. So I had friends all over, and it was a, it was a really, really good time for me in the NFL. Henry Ellard is a guy, I mean, it was fun to watch him when he was here. Should he, do you look at him as a, as a Hall of Famer, or should he be in there? And, like, and what, what impressed you most about him as a receiver? Well, I'll give you a stat. I never threw a pass to Henry Ellard that wasn't a first down. Hmm. So um, that'll tell you a lot about Henry. Just the, his amazing ability, his route running was probably the best I've ever played with. Even with Rod Smith, Ed McCaffrey, everybody I've played, Herman Moore, Johnny Morton, uh, Randy Moss, all those guys that I've played with. I mean, Henry was just such a great route runner because he was so smooth and, and just helped you understand what timing meant. So I could throw it early and you knew he was going to be there. 
I always felt he was a little bit underappreciated, and I don't know if it's because he's a quiet guy, but he was such a – I enjoyed watching him. And, I, and I'll be honest, because when he came here, you knew that he was a good receiver, but I think watching him in person gave me a different appreciation of just how good he was. And also, I think, in that, in that offense, the way that, that North Turner used, used him. So I think that was um, a, pr- a pretty good um, match there. Have you been back to Washington? I don't remember. If, have you been back to the, any of the alumni functions or anything here? I have not. My kids are all in college, and I've just been traveling most weekends to go see them. Um, I have been back to a few games. My kids and I have gone to a few Redskins games. Um, a really good friend of mine, Dr. Tom Omer, um, who is the, the head doctor for the NFLPA, and uh, he, he and I have been friends for a long time, and, and and uh, you know, I've been there on his tickets a few times, sitting in the in the stands and watching the games. But uh, most time, I like watching from home. People still recognize you there? Uh, not not so much anymore. I got a lot of gray hair now. People don't really <laughs> really uh, recognize me as much as when I was younger. You got to remember, when I was with the Redskins, I was I, you know I was twenty four to twenty eight yeah. years old. You know what? So was I. So, <laughs> you know, it's a little bit different. Um, last thing, Gus, and listen, because you have been good about answering this question over the years, I wanted to ask you how often people do remind you of that game in 97 with, with the headbutt. Only when I do podcasts. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, know that's, I know that's not true, right? <laughs> uh, no, you know, people do bring it up a lot. I mean, that's what I'm known for. And, it is what it is. It happened to me. You know, I never get upset about it because, it, you know, it's something that happened to me. Just like Rich Eisen put something on um, Twitter the other day. He says, this guy ran into a wall and he looked, he did a good impression of, of Gus Ferrat. And I said, well, everybody's trying to be like the pros. <laughs> you know, and it, it, just, it is what it is. It happened. And, and uh, you know, obviously if I could go back and redo it, I would. But I didn't. And, and you know what I mean? I'll, like I tell my kids, I'll be on ESPN forever. <laughs> Listen, there are worse things to be known for than being an NFL player who hit his head on a wall. I'll be honest. I don't know if you remember that. Like a day or two after that game, David Elfin and I were talking to you outside. I think the trainer's room. And I think you even said, "I know in 15 years, this is what people are going to talk to me about." Yeah, I probably said it in another 50 years, more like. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's the way it's running. But I, you know, last thing though is, how do you look back on your career? Because again, coming out of the seventh round pick to last as long as you did is pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, I look back and I, I had a great career. Um, you know, I had an amazing wife. My wife Anne was so supportive of me. We were able to go all over this country and, and see so many things and get to play the game I love for a long time because she was able to be a great, great wife, a great mother and support me and um you know now i get to give back to her and let her go fulfill her dreams and uh you know that's we've been together almost 30 years now so it's it's been a great career and she's been a big part of it and uh it's just amazing the people i got to meet the games i got to play play in uh the people i've got to play in front of the fans all over the place it's an amazing, amazing game, and you really can't describe it until you get out in that field and you play in front of 80,000 people. Gus, listen, I appreciate you joining me. It was fun to catch up with you, and I'm, I'm happy to hear that things are going well. And again, for anybody listening, it's Huddle Up with Gus. It's a, it's a fun, entertaining podcast. Give it a listen. Thanks, Gus. Yeah, I appreciate it. Huddle Up with Gus. Check us out. All right.
So now I'm joined by my favorite analyst, Chris Cooley. One of the highlights for me, or one of the things that Chris and I have done a couple of times, is solve a lot of problems with the Redskins on some of the drives home after the game, just with some long phone conversations. Those are things I wish we could tape, but I don't think it'd probably be smart. Um, but I always enjoy those kind of calls. So I want to bring Chris on to talk, obviously, about the Redskins. I want to go over some of Dwayne Haskins' game against the Jets and just what you thought, first of all, what you thought of his game in general. Yeah, John, thanks for having me on. I, I think starting with some of the positives that you see from is that he has really good pocket feel. Like you can see that he's comfortable in the pocket and you see that he has good pocket movement. I'm impressed you know, by his ability to slide, keep his eyes downfield, for him to kind of rotate that shoulder down, two hands on the ball. That's some good stuff there. I, I think he's got a heck of an arm, and you can see that he can make throws anywhere on the football field, and that's really impressive. I like the poise. I think that he did a pretty good job of operating throughout the entire day with the entire offense as, as it was. He felt comfortable making checks. Uh, I don't think they were always the right ones, but right. that's fine. I mean, he's learning those other situations. A lot of people made a big deal about the – the comments to the offensive line that he made, it's hard for a rookie to establish leadership. Right. But to me, the quarterback has to be the leader of a football team, and he's got to start somewhere. And so I, I really don't hate the comments that he made to the offensive line. I, I think that he's trying to get a feel for them and how to communicate with them. And it, you know, if it didn't work in that fashion, it, at least he's figuring out what he's got to do. I know that that was really criticized and, and that people have made a, a kind of a deal out of that, but... I didn't hate that. I, I don't. I didn't have a problem with it either. For the same reason that you said, the one thing I wondered about was the lineman's reaction more than his going over there. Because at least to me, it showed the. Because one of the things going into the draft that I'd hear, or even after the draft, was did he have the leadership skills? And so I didn't mind him showing that. I thought he showed some passion, some fire. But I also I did wonder about the lineman's reaction to him in that situation. Well, I think you also have to understand the situation that you're in during the game, after the first drive. When was that exactly? That wasn't that third quarter-ish? It was in the second half. I think it was in the third, I want to say, but I'm not right. positive. You're, you're, the game's over at that point. It wasn't over for Dwayne. It was very important that he continue to play, and, and I think it was big for him to get a couple touchdowns late in the game. Going. But it was over for them. I mean, you never quit, right? right. But the game's pretty much in hand for the Jets. They, they were down over 20 points in the third quarter when they had that conversation, if that's the moment I'm thinking of. Yeah. So their reaction to me is almost of disinterest because of the moment of the game. And that was that was the other part to me is that here's a guy making his second start who's got all this energy, and there are a lot of guys on that side who are probably beaten down by what's going on. They're veteran, you know what I mean? So yeah, I, right. I, I kind of wondered if that played into it as well. Yeah, you're, you're down 24 some points in the midst of what is becoming a one in nine season with the group of guys that have started the entire way. And he's an excited rookie who wants to make the most out of his last seven games. I, I know it's, it's not the best spot to do it, but he's got to start and, and figure out how he can and how he can lead the team. You, you're around him too. Have you seen a change in him over the last few weeks? I, I have liked Dwayne since he's got here. I've been impressed with him as, uh, as a person, as a football player. I think that anytime you're starting, there's kind of a renewed energy, and so you see that in him. I don't know if I totally buy 
just not that into it over the first seven weeks of the right. season because he's not starting. It's hard to be that into it when you're not taking any of the reps. Right. I, I guess, I, I don't know, if you want him to bring a clipboard to practice and sit there and take notes during practice. And, uh, uh, look, I spent a year not playing very much. I wasn't that into it. Maybe that's a bad thing. But uh, no, I haven't had a problem with Dwayne, and I haven't seen an overwhelming change in Dwayne. Okay. But you can, see, you can see he's clearly excited. Can you see, just even watching the game, where you say, okay, because maybe he's more into it a little bit, or, you know, and people, I've talked to some people there who do feel he's, been grinding a little bit more. What are some of the things that you might see on the field as a result of that? Well, I think the things that you, you start to see on the field is his ability to get in and out of the huddle quicker, his ability to have some tempo at the line of scrimmage. From the first couple games of the preseason, the couple games that he played going into Minnesota, you could see that he was struggling at, at the line. And so those are big upgrades for him. And to be honest, that's just something he hadn't done. It's not something he can't do. It's just something that he hadn't done. Right. You, know, you can talk about doing something over and over, but until you really start to feel it and rep it, I don't know if you, you get it. Everyone learns. And to me, he's a feel rep kind of guy. It's not that uncommon, though. You look at a lot of young players. It's almost a, a generational thing, and it's such an old man thing for me to say that. <laughs> but, it, but it is. It isn't because of me being older or me playing when I did. It really is kind of generational and how they've been treated through college and how you know they through football is different than what it was even 10 years ago. You know, it's, it's funny because even just watching him in college and watching other quarterbacks in college, there's so much that comes from the sidelines now where it's not just a signal to the quarterback. Position groups are signaling to their position groups on the field. So the quarterback's responsibilities in a lot of these schools is far less than it probably used to be. Yeah, I think the, the time rule in college really put a strain on how much coaches could get quarterbacks to process. And almost like when Bill Walsh came up with what was the West Coast, and when Coriel came up with the number system, you know, a lot of those were initial language creations, not just strategies, to, to make it simple. I mean, Coriel's number system was so a guy could come in and be there for two days and pretty much know that a nine's a nine, an eight's an eight, and, and figure out the little nuances from that. And that's, to me, that's, someone figured it out in college, and they started using the picture system and the clap system, and they just created a new language for how they run offense. And it's going to end up transitioning into the NFL. I, I don't see it any other way. And so you better start formulating easier language and easier terminology for a young group of players. Well, that's the thing that always kind of confused me a little bit is that they want they some of these offenses, obviously they want them complicated. So because defenses get complicated and they're trying to one-up each other, but yet these guys are coming to the league and they're having a hard time picking up the language and the terminology. And there was, everybody always says the West Coast system is so hard. Unless you've played in it, it's really hard to pick up. And sometimes it doesn't make as much. It's hard to un sometimes understand why is it so difficult with the terminology. Well, just every combination is coded. And a lot of the routes are tagged individually. And the, the, you call them formations and you call it. It's, it, here's what it is. It's really hard to understand because it was simple when it was created. The origins of it were fairly simple, but it, as everyone took it and tried to build it into their own way, they found 
problems with creative new routes and concepts that they were trying to put in. And so they didn't know really how to tag them. And so they just added extra words and added extra stuff. But it, it is it is amazing when you when you look at just football in general and, and through college, they just said, we're going to we'll play faster and we'll make it harder for you to get calls in and you to substitute. And that's what college has become. It's simpler offense, faster. Back to Dwayne's game. What what are what were a couple of things you say, hey, you, you kind of went over some things you liked. What are some things you say you got to clean this up? But yeah, the couple trips down in the red zone early in the game, I think he missed a couple throws. Harmon? And yeah, <laughs> he had to throw to Smallwood that he missed on a second and six. He had yeah. another chance to throw to Smallwood on a third six that didn't get it. Fumbled a snap down there, you know, on the second trip after the play. turnover. And that was, that was a low snap, but yeah. you, you got to come up with that one. I think you've got to find some touch on some of the underneath throws. You know, you, got, you can sit here and say he had seven drops. I think it was seven that I counted yeah. that ended up being dropped. But four of those balls are not easy catches. Right. You, you know, he threw into Geis on a choice route in the middle that people thought was a check down. It was really a choice route. Uh, that was about 100 miles an hour, man. That was a fastball. <laughs> That's a tough ball to catch. Threw into Henches that was on the back hip. That was a tough ball to catch. Throwing a Burton down on the goal line on a first down that you're going to want to throw it a little softer to your fullback. So that, that's something that he can absolutely work on. And then his pre-snap and post-snap read processing, he, he's got to continue to grow. And that, that's common for every young quarterback. Sure. And I, um, because you, you can say, we can sit here and say that Greg Williams is going to show you that Greg Williams time there. I covered two the entire game of so, or some variety of cover two. They but they were, so, it, they were disguising stuff and then kept dropping into it. But they kept dropping into Correct. it. Correct. Every play. Yeah. So at some point you got to go, I know I'm getting cover two here. It's some fashion of two. I don't know how they're getting to it, but I'm, they're giving me cover two. And so, you know, you adapt as the game goes on and your pre-snap becomes more clear as you start to see what their D coordinator is doing. And then you feel out that post-snap a little bit better. And, and he makes some of the, the bigger plays. And it got him a couple times, you know. Got him on an interception that, you know, Trey could have helped him out. Trey kind of went yeah. back into the middle of the field. But Kelvin Harmon sitting wide open out in space. Yeah. He, he still threw it into double coverage. But that's I – don't, I don't have a problem with that pick. You know, no, if that's going to teach him to use his eyes. His receiver really should have came back out. He was expecting – I know he was – Blow ex- up or a drop. He was expecting him to come back out. Yeah, I don't know what Trey was, why Trey was going back in. I've done that before. It's not a good thing to do as a receiver. <laughs> you lose trust on those situations. But, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll get going. He's, uh, he's young. He's young, and you can see it, and he's green. And he, he missed a bunch of stuff. And to me, a young quarterback missing stuff is you know, the best possible thing they can have. Sure. Listen, it's all about learning from him at this point. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, because this to me feels is probably the worst season I've ever covered, and that's saying a lot because of how long I covered this team. You have been through, you went through some pretty bad seasons as a player here. What's it like for a player in a situation in a season like this? So for me, fortunately, the, the worst season that fell apart, and I, I was on the injured reserve, okay. and so I didn't, I didn't right. go into the meetings or, or some of the things I probably should have. I said a better teammate. <laughs> but I, I didn't. Um, I counted days. It's, I think it's really interesting because everyone has the tanking conversation. And if you lose for the draft, you can't attempt to lose. You can't put your players in bad spots. That, that you can't do in the NFL. Right. 
because everybody's doing the job that they're trying to that they've grown up their entire life trying to do, and, and you don't want to you don't want to quit on a year. The coaches don't either. At the same time, if we're one and nine, I promise you, I don't care if we win the next game as a player. Nice, but I'm not going to celebrate it. it. It it wouldn't have the impact. I would prefer to just have the team play really well than to have the team play poorly and win. Yeah, I would have. I think. Yeah, if we went back and we knew we played really a really played a great game and there's stuff to build from and grow from and I'd rather do that than win ugly. Yeah, well, have one and nine. Yeah, well, I think playing well would be a, a major step up right now, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, playing well right now is going to be a a major step up. Um, you know, Bill Callahan out of character the way they played. I think it's out of character the way he wants them to play, but it's, it's been right in character of how they played this season. Absolutely. Last thing I want to ask you about, last guy, what what was your takeaway on Darius Geis? I thought I thought Darius did a really nice job. Oh. I, I thought he made the most of some runs. He ran physically. He ran through contact, made a couple guys ran over. It was it Miles and Safety or yep. my, Yeah. Had a, and, then, and then obviously the big screen pass that, that he got his first one didn't see a ton of guys, but I like the load management, as that's becoming a popular term. <laughs> in the NFL. That's exactly what you do with Darius. And, and you know, you, you got a thing is, you got a nucleus of, of some young guys. Obviously, you have a long way to go, but there's, there's 15 guys on this team at a minimum that I think you build around you know, in a big way. And Darius is, is one of them. You got Dan, but he's one of them. Yeah. I, I, li- I liked what I saw for the exact same reason. I felt, felt like he showed some of what they liked, which is the physical style, which is the game-breaking ability. And, you know, he played with some energy, too. And I think down the stretch, it's going to be fun to see when guys play with some kind of energy. So, Chris, listen, I appreciate you, as always, coming on. And you know I always love your insight. So thanks a lot for joining me. Yeah, Tom, thanks for having me. Have a good one, buddy. All right, thanks, man. Can I ask you a hypothetical Redskins question? Yeah. Being that they are on a beeline for the number one pick. Chase Young. Trade it and somehow get Chase Young. You think? So, if, you know, if they wanted to pull the Cardinals, right? I'm not saying I'm down on Dwayne. I'm just saying if they wanted to pull the Cardinals, can you believe the decision they'd have to make off the guy that everybody wants who just had hip surgery? Well, first of all, I wouldn't touch Tua for that reason. And I... And I would not have drafted him in, if there was just two a healthy and what they have I would not have gone there because my fear with him has always been durability all right he's a smaller guy who gets hit I, as I would, of two days ago he was the number one pick though I don't I'm that's not what sold the Dolphins on, have been doing on, for I'm not six sold months. on that well not, they're not doing a not good anymore. job of it now yeah not but anymore. The, the only thing I'll say with this is a couple of things one Dwayne Haskins beat out Joe Burrow at Ohio State so I think if Dwayne Haskins had gone back to college what would people be saying about him now? Because he would have put up 50-8 and eight last year, and he would be having a similar year this year, and maybe better, because that team is really good. So, and I'm not, my point is... I don't blame say, anybody who comes out if they're a first-round pick, though. Right. No, 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 I don't blame. My point is, I don't want to just discard and just jump on the next thing, because we don't know where this kid's going to go yet. And the other, 
And I, first of all, I think Joe Burrow is really good. And I'll tell you what, I asked Terry McLaurin about him the other day. His eyes lit up. He's like, that's my guy. That's my guy. I could call him right now. That's my guy. He, like, so I know that guys there, I think, probably think really highly of him, and he's done a phenomenal job. If they didn't have a quarterback now, I, if they didn't have Haskins, I would say if he's the obvious choice. My other thing with it, the reason so why— you they, think there's no chance if they ended well, up with the number saying. one pick that they well, wouldn't well, potentially think this well, here's, and go quarterback? Here's the thing to keep in mind, the difference in Arizona. The owner and the team president really wanted Dwayne Haskins. They were told at the time that he's going to take a while, and they were okay with the pick. Snyder was telling people after the draft, got to be patient with this guy. Patient, patient, patient. So the fact that he may not like look great right now, we don't know where this is going to go with I him. I agree. We don't know, and I'm not saying that. But let's say he struggles the rest of the year. This is what they were anticipating from him. The other thing is, the other factor is, look at, the, look at what, you ha- what he has around him. You know, there are times on the field where I'm looking at this and it's like you have split out. You have Jer- um, Jeremy Sprinkle and, you know, Kelvin Harmon and Wendell Smallwood. You know, no offense to any of them, but you're doing that with a rookie quarterback who needs more help. So the, my point in saying that is you can't just I think it's going to be hard just to say that, you know, where is he really at? If he struggles a little bit, how much of it is on him? How much of it is the talent around him? They know they need to get more talent around him. I have heard that since August, that they know that this is part of their goal is to get there. There is always talk of them trying to get another receiver, another veteran receiver, because they knew they had to get more talent around Haskins. So I think my point in that is that they know all that. So why would you then abandon all that just like that. Um, the only way you could is if if a coach comes in and you say, well, we really want this coach. We've got to get this coach. Well, and, that's what I'm saying. Like, what if Lincoln Riley comes up to you and says, I'll come there, but you're going to be drafting this particular quarterback, right. and that's the guy I want to run the yeah. offense with. And I don't think Lincoln's going to do that. So okay. I don't think do it right. But I think that's, that's the only but thing. But I mean, like, that's Cliff Kingsbury you, showed up right. to... Right, because he knew he had the number one pick, right. and they're going to go in this direction, and they're going to walk away from Josh right. Rosen. And I yeah. and I, I think that I don't I can't answer that scenario because we don't know who the coach is. Right, but I just know what the owner and the president wanted, and that guy that is Dwayne Haskins. And because of all the other factors, I think I'd be really really hard pressed to see them abandoning that after one year because it would also be them admitting that they should have listened to the <laughs> to people on their staff that you can't take him at fifteen for this reason. So I don't, I don't see any of that happening. I think the other thing to me, Bram, is for me personally, I would say if you have that number one pick, get a haul for it because you need a lot in that so roster. So you want them to go the full RG3 thing and see if they can get two, three first-round picks for someone you can to jump that. up and if take you can whoever get that, Let's say be. you get that and you drop down a couple spots and you get Chase Young. I'm good with that. And I would, I would also do is make sure you get a future one, get a, a first-round pick. Because the Dolphins want a quarterback, and right. they're now not going to have the number one overall Correct. pick. That's not happening The Bengals now. are going to need a quarterback. Now, they may Correct. have the number one pick. Maybe. So then I think it depends, too, on what do they think of Justin Herbert. So, you know, Go not, look into the – I'm telling you, the Redskins are, are beelining to the number one pick. The Bengals are going to win a game or two. If you just go right. look at their schedule down the stretch here, they're playing the Jets, they're playing the Browns twice. Yeah. They can win a game They might or win two. a game. So, yes. but, but that's why I say – And 0-16 is rare. But that I would rarely I would happen. make sure – that's why I say if you're the Redskins, you can get that. If you get a future one, you get a 2021 20, 20, 
second, another number one pick in 2021, then if, you, if Dwayne struggles next year, now you have ammo to get another quarterback. You're going to need it then, but maybe you have a lot more around that quarterback to come in and do something. That, that's what I would do. All right, one more hypothetical, and then I'll turn it over to anybody in the room who wants to ask John a question, um, just to come on up. Um, so Greg Williams was here. Yes. Uh, we know him. Yes. <laughs> we spent some time with him. Um, he, you think he's going to get an interview? I would be, it would not surprise me at all because he still has fans here in the organization. He has maintained. Does he? Oh yeah. He has maintained a relationship with, with Dan Snyder. So, so yes, he wasn't the head coach because Gibbs didn't. Gibbs did not endorse him. Didn't endorse him. But the, Snyder could have done it anyway. Could have made him yes, the head coach of the team. but I, not at that time. To. I don't think at that time he could have done that. Okay. Yeah, but Gibbs was leaving. I know, so but he, could but have, he owns still, TV, do whatever he wants. But, yeah, but that's still Joe Gibbs for him. So, you, so the relationship is repairable. Oh, it definitely is. Greg and I'm has telling you, there are people there who do who definitely like him. I had, cycled through I had, Siberia. I right? had, here's the other thing. I had a guy who used to work here who still works in the league. He said, at this point, they may as well go rogue and hire Greg Williams. I agree. And just say, we're become the bad boys of the NFL. Because, and that's, then you have, the one thing Greg brings you is swagger and an attitude. I now, don't know how long it lasts. Brings you, I'll tell you this. They also, will play hard for him. They will play I, hard for him. I witnessed that yes, firsthand. We all witnessed now, it. Now, within I, three years, all the players think, want to kill him. I think that's right? actually, and I, I listen, I think not only the players would want to kill him, I think it would probably be other people in the building. Well, the media wants be, to kill Everybody's going to want to kill him. It'll be either kill or be killed in that building. That's and right. I, and that's, like, I would have a hard time seeing him he and Bruce Allen get along for extended time. But I think Greg also is like, he was not, I was talking to someone about this last week. He said, in the building, Greg was not like some guy walking around boasting to everybody, kind of like with that big swag, that Greg Williams swagger. He was just, he was a lot more nondescript in the building. It was more in front of the media, in front of the players that he became Greg Williams with the second G or sometimes the four Gs, depending on how smart he was that day. Second G was for genius, if people forget. Um, yeah. but, but I do think, so I definitely, definitely, think, I definitely know that people there, there are still fans there. And I remember even talking to someone about him last year in the, who works in the, in, in, in the building, who was like, even last year was talking about how much he still likes him. I'm like, really? He goes, oh, yeah. He's I like, got to tell you, so, I'm, I'm convinced the Browns wouldn't be having the season they're having had they hired him as their probably head coach. Probably not. But yeah, and I don't know what happened there, and it makes you wonder, but... But all I know is that that I, I do believe that Greg Williams would like to be a head coach. I do believe he was very happy to send a statement Sunday. And, and I know that he has fans here still. I don't know that he'll end up with the job, but I know all that. Bring Jamal Adams with him. I'd like that, too. Oh, my God. He's good. He's phenomenal. Yeah. That guy, that, who, who is it? Uh, Morgan Moses was saying that he's, he's the was it Moses said the best safety since like no it wasn't I don't know who it was maybe no, it was, when since the, Troy Polamalu when the deadline was coming around and the Cowboys were openly talking about getting him I'm like that's not good there was a that, that guy's too good to be in our division I don't want he, people like and this that is like and we were talking with Chris about um, playing cover two and all that I'm watching Jamal Adams and I was watching it earlier um, just we watching the game he's lining up off the edge on the right side dropping to cover two. You don't see that happen very often where a guy has the knowing that because you have to have the sense and the timing of when to get back there. And the other, you know, so like I used to see, you know, Sean Taylor would do that stuff. Yeah. Right. And it was like, it was always remarkable because you have to know 
When do you get back out there? When, you, know, you can't leave too soon if your goal is to confuse the guy, but you still got to get back there. And then I think the other thing he has is the instincts. And, and I, he's, a, he's a blast to watch. Well, I mean, after seeing him, now I see why he got so mad about the Jets talking about trading him. Because well, he's close. like, I know how good I am. What, yes. are you, what is wrong hey, with you people? And not everybody yeah. else should know, right, too. Right, he's, right. he's phenomenal. Yeah, what are you guys doing? All right, anybody in the room, do you guys have a question for John? you guys want to ask a come question? On come on up. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. Say your name first, please. Greg Romano. Hello, Greg. Okay, let's say uh, they can't find anyone to do a big trade, but they do something like the Mitch Trubisky one where they get something in, to drop down two or three spots. Ask me about the draft because, you know, right. that's the whole point of, of this point. You know, the, well. the positive point of this yeah. point. Okay, so let's assume Chase Young's gone and the draft boards are stay similar to now such that there's a corner, a tackle, Oof. and a wide receiver in the top five of most people's draft boards. Correct. Which one do you go for? It, honestly, I'm going to chicken out a little bit and say it's going to depend on free agency because I think they absolutely, they absolutely, absolutely, absolutely want playmakers at receiver for, for Haskins. So if they don't find one in free agency, I think that's where they're going to go if they feel like Jerry Judy is the guy. Okay? So I think that, but I also, we also know the Trent Williams situation. So my, my it wouldn't be shocking to me if they somehow make a deal in the offseason or somehow land a veteran receiver for to, to boost the offense. And if that's the case, then you're going best player between the tackle or the receiver. Well, or, I'm sorry, the tackle or the corner because they're absolutely going to need a corner. And I think you also have to realize, too, with the corner, you want the blue chip talent at that position. So I think that's going to be because Jeffrey Okuda from Ohio State, you know, is, has been terrific this year. Terrific. He's got great skills. Was coming in as a high guy. So I would lean toward him. Just had a little bit of bias. I want you know, be nice to have more Buckeyes in there to talk about the games on Saturday. But he and he's phenomenal. But I think that's where that's what I would look at. So my guess is receiver may come in free agency or in the offseason somehow. Who makes that trade, Bruce Allen? Of course. So you think there's no chance? Oh, I I'm not. You think gonna, there's no chance that they're I, going. Did Listen, you see but, the stadium yesterday? I did. And I was going to say, like, two weeks ago, I would say there's absolutely no chance. It's not like I've heard anything. But I just think that if it continues to be this bad and you're disastrous, like, disastrously bad, how is everything not on the table? I don't see. If, you're, if you want to sit there and say, we're doing everything we can as an organization, how can you bring, how can you not look at what's internally going on and say that this is okay, this is the right path. I, I just would have a hard time with that. But my right now, my expectation is that he'll be back making the decisions. Mm. We'll see. I think the other question is, would he bring out, would they make another change like they did with McLuhan and bring on someone to oversee that operations? But, but Bruce will always have that. So. But I mean, he, I know. Didn't, he didn't like having McLuhan making decisions. No, he did not. So, so we'll see. It, it would be, if that's, if that's the scenario, somebody, that would seem like you'd someone You'd have to bring somebody who would oversee the football side and organize everything and present the reports yep. and be, be that guy. And, and, that, and Bruce would say, Bruce is still going to make the, the trades. Well. Yeah. You're all the way in from Indiana. Yeah, right? how about that? Tim, I want to give a shout out to him because Tim is always here from, I mean, you're here. How many games are you coming to all the time? Uh, I make it to four home games and four road games. And that's yeah, that's phenomenal. And he comes year. to these. Po- I know he's been to J.P. Finley's, the Red Co- Redskins um, podcast talk podcast, all the time. So it's a big shout out to you for coming out here. I appreciate you guys doing this. This is really great for the fans. Uh, just wanted to piggyback since we were talking about Bruce Allen. Right. Um, and this is a serious question. When he comes to work each day, he clocks in. What 
what's his role? What does he do? <laughs> what does he do? What does he do day no, to day? I, think that's, I, I don't mean, mean to laugh, but it's but that's, and, I, that, and I knew that would bring laughs. Yeah, no, but, but I think I'm, it's a good it's question. A serious question. What does he do day to day? And I would have a hard time coming up with a good answer, not because I don't think he does anything, but because I think there are a lot of things that he does do. And I know, like we all know that he does that. He's going to be um, involved in business side. And, you know, I know that, like, I'll hear people will talk about going in his office and he's sitting there and he's got film on. How much of it is he watching? I don't know, but I know it's always on. Um, you know, I know he's out at practice. I know that, you know, he's going to be, you know, he should be on top of whatever is available on the transaction wire, right? Um, I don't know that he's doing the nitty-gritty with that stuff. I don't think that at all. Um, so I don't know that I have a great answer for you, Tim, because... I think it's hard to define that role. And if you ask him, he just will kind of chuckle at that stuff, to be honest. And, to, you know, and so I think that's a hard question. Not that he doesn't do anything, but I think to say exactly what he does. And you know, I'm sure there are meetings going on. And there should be meetings with the coaches and, because he also has to report to Dan. So he is the go-between between the coaches and Dan Snyder. So I think that's part of it too. But, you know... There's, I mean, he's got his hands in so many things that it's probably different every day. But that's a good question. I wish I had a better answer for you. It's okay. All right, as a follow-up to that, let's assume Bruce won't be back next year. Um, the team needs an identity. Correct. And I, and I think that can come from the top. Um, oh, absolutely. We're not going to see it from Dan. It's just not his personality right. to put himself out there. And I hate to go back to the Joe Gibbs thing. Uh, the nostalgia with all that, but is there any chance we bring in a Joe Gibbs, Bill Parcells, face of the franchise, create the culture? Because I know that's cliche, but this team doesn't have an identity. We talk about Greg Williams. If he were to be brought in, we have an identity. Correct. Right? But I think it needs to come from the top. Oh, I believe that. Um, but what about a guy who's just a face? Because I know I'm sure those guys don't want the responsibility that would come with that. But somebody that's just going to come in and establish our brand, who we are. I don't know the what. I, like I said, what I would say is, as of a week or two ago, that guy's still going to be Bruce Allen. If that's today, if that's in four weeks, I don't know. If that doesn't happen, then yeah, I mean that's you have to bring like. I don't know who that person would be. You know a guy that I would go out and get for a GM-type role if they did that, not necessarily as a president role because I don't think this, this is not what he would do. It was Morocco Brown. If you guys remember, Morocco was in the front office a few years ago, left to go to the Browns, and he was trying to hitch, you know, hitch his wagon to Ray Farmer, and he's now with the Colts. He knows this organization. He knows the people involved in there in the front office and, and the scouting side. And I think he's a talented guy. I always thought he was very smart. That's a guy that I would... And I had another guy, I told you that guy I talked to earlier um, about the Greg Williams thing. Is like That was his suggestion, too, is go get Morocco Brown. He knows that yeah. place. He knows what he's getting into. So I think you need to have that. But it would be good to have a face of the franchise. Somebody who would be 
much more out there and transparent with things going on. Because I will say, I know in talking to some people there, I think they would like Bruce to be more transparent about things. And I think you need that. I think along with the identity, I think what you absolutely need there is a philosophy. That's one thing that's always kind of bugged me with this franchise. What is their philosophy when it comes to a football organization? What is, and, it, and that goes to identity. Like, you know the Steelers, what they're going to want. I had a scout tell me, like, I can tell you what a Cowboys offensive lineman looks like right now. Like, what is the Redskins' identity even there going to be? So I agree with you. You have to have that, but I want the philosophy. But that was, it's not coming from Dan Snyder right now because he's owned for 20 years and we don't know what it is. That would come from that person, whether it's like, listen, I think, you know, you look at, you talk about Joe Gibbs. <laughs> Could he bring him back for a second time huh. in a president's role? You know, and that, I'm not starting anything, Brad. You are starting something. I'm not starting anything. But like, that, that's too but much that's, hope. Of course it is, but that's the kind of guy yeah. that you need. Yeah. Somebody who's out there is like, I don't need the headaches of the football side. I'm here to be this guy for this owner and represent him at there. I know that one thing that that Dan, person needs to be motivated though. You cannot get someone who's at that age is collecting a well, check and thinks he's going to walk in right. and just use his name. And I, I will, know? and I will say this: like the one thing that people do like about Bruce Allen that you know, he does have a lot of energy. Yeah, he does, have, and he does take. He is a shield for the coaches between the coaches and the owner. So whoever takes that role, it's, it's a really, it's a, I'd say it's a tough role, but it's not as tough as it used to be because Snyder is delegated more to Bruce Allen. And, yeah, you know, he takes all the bullets. He does, but he didn't delegate as much as, he delegates more to Bruce. And like the, the, the Bruce word, also doesn't dodge any of the bullets. No, he, he doesn't. Takes them. He does take them, that's right. And so that's, but that's what, that's part of the job. But, you know, to your, to your point though, is I, I would like to see a philosophy a blueprint here for what do you believe in as an organization? What is your belief in how things should be run? What kind of what kind of personnel do you want? What kind of team do you want? You know, and I think they kind of vacillate so much. Well, this didn't work. Let's try this. That's not a, that's not a philosophy. That's a flip of the coin. Yeah. All right. One more. That's a good question. We'll do one more. Thanks. Say your name, please. Um, Maurice with the Redskins Tweet Team. So my question is, I think this season has been really really bad for fans, <laughs> but. If it was a one and nine season, you would have you know your normal pain with the fan base. But this seems to be more legacy based, yeah. And I think that we're really seeing like fans migrating away from the team, yeah. and it's almost like this battle line has been drawn between the fan base and the team uh, more broadly, spe- specifically with uh, Bruce Allen, who's really gotten like the the lion's share of the negative attention from the fans. Where do you think the breakdown started between the fans and the team? Because this seems more than just being dissatisfied with losing. It is. And I think that's a great question. And it's funny because um, a couple years ago, and Bram, we were talking about this on your radio show earlier. Um, a couple years ago, I wrote a column of, about this because, and I wrote it like Dan Steinberg from the Washington Post had written a column about somewhat you know, the, the dwindling TV ratings and the attendance and all that. So like, okay, and I, this is two years ago. And at the time, there were 500 team, right? Or just around 500. And the vitriol from the fans on social media was like, oh my God, it feels like they're two and 14. And they weren't. And like, they've been a 500 team for three years now. Why is it so bad? And I think sometimes to me, it's like, it's a, it's, there's a couple things that have been unfortunate that have happened. And a couple things that I think where that trust or faith has been broken. And some of it goes, you know, you have this ascendant player in Sean Taylor who dies. You can't blame that. That's, it's a tragedy, right? 
But you looked at, so like this is something the fans have gone through with this organization. But then you get ahead to, you know, Joe Gibbs is here and then he leaves and you replace him with Jim Zorn. Now that's not Bruce Allen, okay? Um, but you know, then you get Mike Shanahan in here and all this promise of Mike Shanahan and the regime. What's he gonna do? He won two Super Bowls. Guy's a great coach and they don't get it done. You have RG3 here, another, you know, that rookie year was as much fun as I've had covering this team because it was so different every week and it was electric all the time and it was so new and it was exciting and all that. Fans were into it. And then after one year, he's gone as, a, as, a, as that kind of a player. And then it just fell apart. And then I think fans have been beaten down by the way things always end up out in the media, right? And I've had players, I've talked to many players about this, like, one of the things that they talk about playing here as opposed to other places is all that stuff trickles down to them. It's a small building at Redskins Park. So all those rumors get to the players. You bump into these guys in the hallway. At some of these other places, I had one player who was telling me like in Green Bay, I think it was Will Blackman, Green Bay, the Giants. You don't see these people. You don't see all these people. So those rumors don't get down to you. Here you had like... Will Compton's like, you have to deal with, can I say shit on here? Yeah. Okay, I just did. You have to, you have to deal with a lot of that with, with the Redskins because of all the stuff that gets to them. So I think all that wears on. And now, I'm not even, I'm not, you know, you guys would know better with it, but I think it all adds up. The McLuhan situation, I'm not going to blame them for firing him, okay? I don't, you know, I think the mistake was it just, you know, for the fa from a fan's perspective, but the, the, the belief is here comes another guy that can help and save us. And then he, then he's gone, right? I'm not, you know, I'm not. Like I said, I, I, I'm not blaming them for what they did. I think the way it was handled was bad, um, but I think there was another loss for the fans to say another guy that you thought could come here and do something and help, you know, with the fan base and help the team get back didn't come through. Kirk Cousins, all the stuff with him, whether you not, whether however good you think he is. I think that was a factor too because here's a guy that was at least a good quarterback and he's here and he can't get it done. He's on the tag and you know, and then, then it's like, then you have a year and a half of, does Kirk even want to be here? Well, why doesn't he want to be here? What's wrong with this franchise? So I think it's one, but one thing after another, there's a lack of trust and faith, I think that's hap that's occurred. And again, some of, their, some of the stuff is not, you know, has been not of their doing. Joe Gibbs retiring. Well, they, they were caught flat footed, but they didn't, you know, this is Dan Snyder's year, but, or, it wasn't Bruce Allen, but they were caught flat-footed on that one. But you can't help the guy wanted to get out of here. But I think it all adds up to one, every so often there's that, this is the hope. This is where the hope is, and it never pans out for you guys. And I just, like, I just, I feel bad for this fan base because, and I come from Cleveland, so, like, I know what the, you know, the trail of sports tears is like. And it's hard. And when you have to, I have to, like, I don't root for the Browns anymore, but my son does. And when he was a kid, I have to kept telling him, like, I can't give this kid any hope because I don't see it for them. And so what do you tell them? I don't know. And I think I just feel bad for this fan base because it is passionate. People still care. They keep saying, oh, I'm going to root for this team. You don't, you're not doing that with your heart, man. You're doing that because you're, you're breaking up here. You're not into them. You're against these guys. So I think that emotion is still there. And so... It's just, it's just painful to watch because these fans deserve better. But I just feel it comes down to that. I think it's like, and I think there's also something here with the fan base. You want it, rep, you want it to be, you want this organization to be one you believe in and it's portrayed a certain way. And it's like, it's one year after another getting beat up. Every year getting beat up, you know? And so, and then, then when you get close, you get nine wins, you win the division, and then you can't follow up with that. 
it's just, you know, so I just think it's, to me, it's one thing after another that's caused all of this. Now, the question I'd have for you guys would be, if they start winning, how many people come back? You know, do they come back automatically? Maybe. Maybe. And I mean, we don't know. I mean. Well, they, let's, see, let's see them win first. Yeah, I'm, saying, be, I'm sure like you guys say, <laughs> let's see it and then we'll decide. Yeah, then we'll and, make and, our mind yeah, up. But, but I think the problem is too, like, there have been a generation of lost fans here. You know, I mean, it's, you know, their fans have so many choices now, and you got the red zone. Growing up in the 60s, I'm sure these teams were sucked in the 60s, but they were entertaining, they were likable, and they were the only thing in town, really. And then you didn't have all these other teams you could root for because you can watch on TV and fantasy football. So I think it all causes an erosion of that next generation. Yeah. But that's where you need the winning to get those people back. You need a couple years and a, a, and a strong playoff run to get people excited. That hasn't happened in forever. I think that's the big problem. It's a big problem. We're supposed to come here and not be a downer. So can we get Mel on? But I do yeah. I appreciate the question yeah. because I think it's an no, important I, one. I think I just, it's the question, yeah, it actually. Is. It and is it, the question and, and of the future for them. And it I feel is. bad for this fan base because they deserve better. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, let's bring Mel on. All right, Mel. All stuff in my face right now. <laughs> This stuff in his face. So Mel, Mel, Mel and I have done, obviously, we've done a few of these together now. Yes, Get, sir. Bring on Mel to talk about, first of all, plug yourself. Plug, plug, plug the, your, your food service. Oh, I'm uh, Chef Mel with 12 Tables Elegant Dining. I have a mobile, uh, mobile catering and a mobile kitchen. They actually serve uh, for catering and events and all your fine dining needs to bring the restaurant to you. But um, other than that, let's, uh, let's talk some food. Let's talk some food. Well, here's the other thing. I just, during the bye week, mm-hmm. smoked some ribs. Oh, you smoked some ribs. I smoked some ribs. But hold up. You, but you didn't bring enough for me. You I did me some. Because there weren't any left. Oh, man. So I, how much for one rib? Can I just get one rib? You, I think you would want these. These are good. I, I, <laughs> I love my ribs. I, I will say. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it, they, were, they were pretty good. So that was one of the things I did. We've talked about this before. What is like if you said like what's your favorite thing to grill? My favorite thing to grill? Mm. I mean, I'm going with the ribs too. I love I love some ribs on the grill. I'm definitely on the, on the I'm on the ribs on the grill if anything. How long do you like here how how do you do your Actually, how long? You know what? I take that back. Steak. I love steak on the grill. All right. The, the flavor of steak on the grill is amazing. You know, especially like when you got that charcoal, the different smoke coming out of it, it's, it's really good. What kind of steak you using? Oh, man, you got to go with the ribeye, man. Oh, yeah. That's the, you know, I, yes. you, want, you want that ribeye. You want yeah. that marble, you know. You I, want the that. marbling, I, yeah, I, yeah. That's my go-to. I mean, New York strip is good, too, though. You know, all of them, you know, all of them good. Definitely a filet. You do a filet, is good, too. Like I said, different cuts, whatever your preference is. But, you know, I like them all. What's, what's your big steak tip for people listening? <laughs> Don't cook it all the way. Well done. <laughs> never. I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> but uh, don't, don't never uh, cook it all the way because you want to sit here and, and uh, have like at least about medium and let the steak rest. How, how long do you let it rest? As long as I can before I want to sit here and like, eat it. <laughs> okay. Well, because like I've seen some people say let it rest for a half hour. It gets- yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you, how I'm long? A half hour, yeah. man. You're going to have an amazing steak for I know. half an I, hour, man. It's hard for me to resist it for a half hour, I'll be honest. I mean, it's like having bacon. Once you cook bacon, what you're going to do, you're going to eat it right away. Yeah. You taste a little piece of bacon, you're going to yeah, tear I, it I, up. I, I'm happy if I can get to about 15. <laughs> I'll be, you know, I, I got you going at 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, there's, there's, I can guarantee there's been 10 minute ones. The other, the other thing I want, and, I, and I, we talked a little bit about this on the last, or the, one of the last times, 
but you do a lot of stuff with the players. So mm-hmm. who are some of the players that you are cooking for? Uh, Landon Collins, uh, Vernon Davis, uh, a few guys, Ryan Anderson. I'm, you know, I'm going to select a few guys I say here because they, they really take care of their body. They, all them guys, they like to really be into their body. So what you put into your body, like what you eat, is, is, is very important. Uh, especially during games, you want to make sure you don't get no inflammation, things like that. You want to really make sure that you're really eating uh, great food, like, you know, healthy. How different are they in for, as far as the meals you're preparing? Because they're not all going to have the same taste. So how different are they? No, they, they, like, they, they about the same. Everyone really? is going for, like, you know, really clean, uh, a lot of, you know, super greens, things like that. Just want to just cut down on some of the what is, What's Landon's go-to meal? Uh, he loves some fish. Really? What kind? Some, uh, sea bass. He's, oh, big, okay. he's big on the sea bass. Yeah. And what about Vernon? Huh? Vernon like a little variety of different like vegetables, like a little different things. Um, I'm getting to kind of like fill him out a little bit more, but uh, he, he really like just healthy food. And, and who, who's the pickiest? Uh, I mean, nobody's really picky. They just like, got their preference on what they really like and what they want as far as um, what dish they like the most. Do any of them eat red meat at all, or they st- they stay no, away from that? No, no, they stay away from that red meat, man. I mean, like, I don't have to. I mean, which is good because I mean, like, you don't want to do the red meat at this time when you're playing. And with 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 landing with the sea bass, how how do you prepare that? I prepare that. I pan sear it and I um, put a little bit of uh, garlic sauce on there. Different flavors I have on there. I do like a general souls. Uh, I, I got it so many different ways I cook it. So I do it like an orange zest. I put on there. De- depends on what. What uh, other sides I'm actually making with it, too. Sometimes I do, like, uh, he loves green beans, so I do, like, with green beans, or I do it with, um, what else, uh, the vegetable I got. Because he, he don't really, he different, he's really picky with his vegetables. Like, he, really? I mean, like, he only eats certain vegetables, so I have a select few I actually make for him. Did, that dish. Did you make some Brussels sprouts? No. <laughs> I don't, I well, don't. because you can't make them right and have nah, them be tasty. Well, you know what, he don't eat Brussels sprouts, and he don't eat broccoli. Really? Yeah. Well, you know what? Take that back. I actually snuck a little bit of pieces of broccoli in in some of his dishes. <laughs> okay. Okay. How often are you cooking for those guys? Uh, every day. For all every those day. guys? Well, uh, some of them guys is like um, depending on when they need me and stuff. But enjoy their time, like land every every day. You enjoying that? Yep. All right, Mel. Listen, always fun. Always fun. Hey, always fun. Hey, thank you, Bram. Usually, usually Mel and I end up talking in his car when it's cold out. So, <laughs> so, it's, so it's just to get away from the riffraff in the media room. But so I enjoyed being out here at City Tap talking to Mel. Thanks a lot for joining us. Yes, sir. All right. All right. You got to say goodbye, John. Oh, that's <laughs> I got to say goodbye, folks. Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys for coming out. I really appreciate it. Um, I really hope that things get better for you guys because you guys deserve it. Thank you very much to Gus Farratt for joining me, Chris Cooley, Chef Mel, and thank you to CityTap for hosting us.